Well, God is good. And all the time, God is good. Uh, Today, I want to begin a look at the prophet Joel. And uh, I love the minor prophets. They're so interesting. So much strange stuff in the minor prophets. And uh, I love it, you know, because you say, you know, so tell me about Joel. And people usually go, well, um, let's see, the last time I read that book was maybe, I don't know how many years ago. Uh, It's always good to look back and and remember some of the messages God gave the prophets because they apply to us today as well. And Joel tells us from the very beginning, tell your children of it, let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. So God and Joel are concerned that the story that Joel tells gets passed on from one generation to the next. And that it's an important story. Now, we don't know a lot about Joel. All we really know about Joel is, is what he mentions in his writings. And uh, scholars have tried to date Joel, and there's some, there's some guesses, but we still can't really, for certain, pinpoint, pinpoint him. We, don't, we do know his name, and he does give the name of his father for what that's worth. Uh, but we don't know a lot. But, but scholars think maybe that's, there's a reason for that, too, because the story's not about Joel. It's the story that Joel told and that he wants to go on from generation to generation. And so a good storyteller doesn't want he himself to be remembered or herself to be remembered, but the story and the point of what he has to say. As one commentator says, the book of Joel begins by referring to a story that is worthy of being told and retold. I found this little uh, news quip interesting. If a Baylor University professor has his way, death will no longer be an excuse for not keeping in touch. Dr. David Eagleman, an assistant professor of neuroscience and psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine, is the founder of Death Switch, an automated online service that allows a person to send an email after he or she has died. Customers pay a yearly fee of $19.95. They didn't make it clear if that was after you die or before you die. And when they pass away, the company sends an email to pre-selected recipients, usually containing critical personal information of the deceased. It can be anything from computer passwords or a love note to the last word in an argument. How would you like to get an email from somebody who has died, getting one last jab on the argument that you had? Eagleman sees his service as a way of bridging mortality. The idea for Death Switch came from his love of the Internet and how it can extend the human experience. It would be so interesting to receive email from someone who passed away, he says. I don't think there's any honor in being silent in death. One CEO of a Silicon-based e-commerce consulting firm said, enthusiastically recommends the Death Switch. Upon his death, emails containing computer passwords will be sent to his widow. It extends our reach, he says. You can store some part of yourself that lasts beyond your life. The story, the story of our lives, it's what we often dream of and work so hard for from childhood all the way into our senior years. What about our story? What are the things I dream of as a child? What are the things I dream of in adolescence that I want to be when I grow up? The things that I want to do. And then we hit what they call midlife, and we begin to reevaluate, am I achieving my story? Did I fail, quote-unquote? 
Maybe I need to scrap it all and start rewriting the story. Some people will, will even sacrifice marriages and relationships and careers because they think they're not living the story they want to live. Some people will, will pay lots of money to get into other people's stories, to be associated with a, a celebrity, an athlete, or a product. Or, you know, we've all done this. You, in a conversation, you drop a name so that people think you're associated with their story. Oh, you're part of their story. Oh, you're special. Wow. Our stories are very important to us, aren't they? I would like to suggest to you this morning that Joel invites us into a story that's not our story, but God's story. And the temptation in life is to do everything I can to make my story happen. And when that happens, it becomes a life that is solely purposed on my empire instead of the kingdom of God. And let me just kind of unpack this for the rest of the morning, if you will. Story, so important to us. In fact, that's that's why it's hard sometimes when someone close to us passes away. Or if we're facing death ourselves, what will happen to my story? Will people remember my story? And what about the story of my loved one? We want their story to go on. And Joel says, there is a story that must go on. I used to love it when my grandma and grandpa Ciccarelli from Rochester, New York, would come out and visit. And uh, my, my grandfather came over here when he was about 16, 17 years old from Italy. A man of few words. I remember, uh, I don't know why, maybe some of you can explain this, but some people like to take their folding chairs and set them up in the driveway and just sit there and look out at the neighborhood. Now maybe some of you, some of you can explain that to me. But my, my grandpa Ciccarelli used to love to do this. He would work all day. Because my dad was working, and he'd give, he'd give his dad a list of things to do around the house during the day. So he'd build gazebos, you know, and he'd do all kinds of great things for us. And then at the end of the day, he'd get the folding chair and put it out in the driveway and just sit there. And so I was, I don't know, junior high at the time or so, and I decided I was going to go up and try to get a conversation going with Grandpa Ciccarelli. Because, you know, usually when you ask him questions, it was one word. It was simply this. Eh. <laughs> That's all he'd say. How are you doing today, Grandpa? Eh, you know. What do you think of this sports team? Eh, you know. That was, that was what he said. And when he did talk, you had to really strive to listen because he had such a strong accent. So I was pulled up a folding chair, sat next to him, asked him those questions, got the same response, until I asked him a certain question. And I said, so what was it like in Italy? Oh, my goodness. I could not shut him up. He went on and on with such passion about Italy and his childhood and the things that he did. And I, I only understood half of what he said, but it was exciting listening to him talk. We all have our stories. We're passionate about them. But Joel wants us to tell the story of God. And in Joel, the first chapter... He says, as I've read, tell your children about it. Let your children tell tell their children and their children another generation 
And part of their story had to do with grasshoppers. I told you these minor prophets are interesting. In verse 4, Joel writes, What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Do you get the picture? (laughs) There were all these locusts, and one they left nothing behind. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a horde of locusts. We're going to show you a picture of of this. Um, That's in Africa. I would not want to be in a horde of locusts. And in case you ever get a close encounter of them, um, they're kind of like that. So how would you like them swarming all over, all over you? Now, uh, I know it was kind of strange. This isn't really part of the sermon, but I just have to throw it in. Tuesday, I was looking for pictures of locusts for the sermon. And I had the kids, and we pulled into the garage, and we got out of the car, and all of a sudden I heard this shriek. I thought, what's going on? And there was locusts in the garage. <laughs> there was this big grasshopper that was flying around, and the kids were trying to duck. And I, I go, okay, now what are the odds of that? I'm looking for locusts on Thursday on the Internet, and here they are in my garage. I'm like, God, what's going on? And then my daughter, you know, if you ever heard the story about how God spoke to us to come to Calamesa, my daughter says this. I kid you, this is great. She goes, oh, no. She goes, Dad, this doesn't mean we're moving again, does it? <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Just, just an interesting coincidence that uh, we got locusts this day. But there were locusts. And Joel is telling them, do you remember the locusts and how devastating it was? There's, it affected the land. It affected the animals. We had nothing. We couldn't even bring sacrifices to the temple anymore. There was nothing to bring because the locusts ate everything. Now in Joel, a common theme is this phrase, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has come, and the day of the Lord will come again. But remember this. Remember this, Joel says. He calls them to do something in light of the day of the Lord. He calls them to return to the Lord. He begins in chapter 2, verses 12 and the first part of 13. He says, actually, let me go back to verse 14 of chapter 1. He says, Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Call this assembly together. And then in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, Even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Return. Come back. Now, I grew up a major Dodgers fan, especially in the 1970s. And those of you who are Dodger fans, you remember some good years in the 70s. You remember the, the Jaegers and the Lopes and the Says and the Garveys and the so on and so on. Now, I had one problem growing up as a Dodger fan in the 70s. My next-door neighbor was a scout for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, if you're a Dodger fan, you know that is archenemy number one, the big red machine. They had great players on the Reds. but I, He was a nice guy, but I always felt like I was getting a jab when he'd give me a free Reds hat, you know, or he'd give me a free Reds T-shirt. or he'd get, I couldn't wear that. That was, that was sacrilegious to do those types of things. Well, there was a player for the Cincinnati Reds, if you follow, follow Major League Baseball at all, who set multiple records. Pete Rose 
multiple records for Major League Baseball, except he made a bad choice when he became a manager. He decided to gamble and wager on baseball and the outcomes of games. And so he has been officially banned from all of baseball. All of baseball. Well, in his autobiography that came out in about 2004, he finally admitted to gambling and to wagering on the games as a manager. And he apologized. And he decided to also apologize in a very unique way. He decided, and I'm reading this from an article, as he, he hasn't stopped confessing, the article said, in September 2006 he began using his website to personally apologize to each of the fans he had failed or offended. In fact, for only $299 plus $4.95 shipping and handling, Pete Rose will send you an autographed baseball that reads, I'm sorry, I bet on baseball. Does that feel weird to you, or is it just me? (laughs) You know, how would you like it if someone said, I'm sorry I wronged you, and for $300, I'll say I'm sorry. Only in America, I think, is this this possible. This is not the type of return that Joel's talking about when God says, return to the Lord. He's not talking about going through the motions. He's not talking about rending your clothes, which was a sign of, of repentance and sackcloth and ashes. He's saying, rend your hearts in all honesty and sincerity. Return to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. And here's why, Joel says in the second half of verse 13, Here's why you can return to the Lord. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. This is why you can return to the Lord. Come back to the Lord because he is a God that doesn't wait for you to get back to scold you. He asks you to return because he is gracious and he's compassionate and he's long-suffering and he's slow to anger. Why wouldn't you want to return to God? God truly is good all the time. He's a God that moves us from our story to his story. He's a God that gives us what we don't deserve. I'm sorry to use another sports analogy this morning. But Monday, um, my son and I had the treat to be able to go to uh, a playoff game for the National Basketball Association. My son asked me, hey, any chance we can go to a playoff game this year? And I said, probably not. Those tickets are so expensive. Just not quite in our budget. Well, I went online Monday, and I decided to look, and I found tickets below the face value. And so I got these tickets. We went to this game, had a wonderful time together, especially since our team won, so it made it really, really good. But they do this thing at the Clipper Games in the Staples Center. They, they go up to the very top section, you know, the nosebleed section. If you've ever been up to the top section, I have. If you're afraid of heights, don't ever go up to the top section because you feel like you're going to fall over all the rows right down to the bottom. They go up to the very top section, and every Clipper game they do this, they, they give two tickets to two people at the top section, and they take them all the way down to courtside. And they get to watch the whole game from courtside. Now, our God is even better than that. We are outside the kingdom of God. We are so far away. We can't even see the game from where we sit. And God comes and says, come into my kingdom. Come into my story. 
didn't deserve it, didn't earn it, didn't do anything to get that. But God says, come, come, move on down to where the game is. Move on down into my story. He's a God that's slow to anger. Now, when we say slow to anger, we don't mean it takes him five minutes to get upset. It doesn't mean that it takes him a week to get upset. It takes years and years and years and years and years when you read the Old Testament for God to finally say, I've got to put my foot down now. Unlike me on my way to finance committee Wednesday night, on the freeway, coming to the finance committee meeting, and when on earth is there ever traffic getting off at Calamesa Boulevard? Never. This particular day, a truck is stopped in the right lane. So everybody's having to go around. So I decided, I saw far enough down the road, I got off at the exit earlier, and I decided to take the side road, which, of course, everybody else decided to do, right? So I'm there at the stop sign that leads up to Calamesa Boulevard, but I'm about 25 cars back. So I'm sitting there just going, all right, well, hopefully I'll get there close to on time. And I'm sitting there, and then this, this wonderful gentleman uh, drove up the right side shoulder, you know, and just whizzed right by us with a big smile on his face, just kind of cruising right by, and pulled up and got right in behind the first person at the stop sign. And so I just said, oh, I'm so happy for him. I'm just so glad he was able to, that God just opened the door for him to get right in there. I mean, he's such a blessed person. You know that's not what I was thinking, right? I started going, oh, that's not right. You know, justice should be, where's a cop when you need one, right? You just, ah, and I sat there and I thought, look how quick I am to anger. Thank God that he's not like that. Thank God that when John does something, he doesn't go, wham. But he's slow to anger. Slow to anger because he's abounding in love. He's compassionate and he's long-suffering. And so Joel says, this is the story that has to be told. Yes, the day of the Lord is coming, but the story that needs to be told from generation to generation to generation is return to God because he is good. Return to God because he is long-suffering and he's very slow to anger and he's so compassionate and he is so gracious. Return to God because he will always receive you. John the Baptist picked this up in the New Testament. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Come into the kingdom. Reorient your life. Re-aim your life. Jesus, of course, that was his whole life, was the story of God. He was a teller of the story of the Father. And Jesus, when he started his ministry, Mark says, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, which meant it is here. It's right near you. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Come in to the kingdom. Come in to God's love. And when we look at the cross, what does the cross remind us of? When the cross is there, it's a statement that Jesus made saying, return to God. He loves you. He's not angry with you. Return to God. Come into his kingdom. Come into his story. See, I think over the years, sometimes the gospel is, has not been told exactly how I think it should be told anyways, and you may disagree with me, but we've probably all heard this, the gospel line of, invite Jesus into your life. That sounds harmless, doesn't it? Invite Jesus into your life. And that's, that's a good thing. But here's where, maybe I analyze it too much, but if I invite Jesus into my life, that means that, to me, that he's at the mercy of what I dictate. 
Come into my life, Jesus, and I'll fit you in with all the other things in my life. And sometimes, Jesus, I'm sorry, but sometimes those things kind of are going to crowd you out because there's not enough time for you in my life. And my plate's pretty full, and, and so sometimes Jesus kind of gets moved around, and pretty soon he's on the, the bread roll plate, you know, and everything else is on the plate. But as long as he's coming into my life, I'm telling him where and how. And Jesus, you will also, can you help me achieve all the things that I, I want to achieve? You see, I don't think that's really the good news. I think the good news that Jesus said was, think about your thinking, re-aim and reorient your life to understand that I'm not asking you to invite me into your life. Jesus says, I'm inviting you into my life. I'm inviting you into my kingdom. That's the good news, is that you're not shut out of my kingdom. You can come back in. And even though you're a sinner, I have come to show you I want you to return, and I'm inviting you back in because I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Come into my kingdom. And when I come into Jesus' kingdom, then he's in charge. He's Lord. He's Savior. It's not about juggling him on my plate. He is the plate. That's the good news. Jesus says, come into my story. You're allowed back into my story. The story continued from generation to generation until finally the church is being born in Acts. And Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my storytellers, my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus says, my Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be tellers of the story, not just here in Jerusalem, but all over the world. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. The apostles were filled with the Spirit, so much so that they began to speak in other languages that weren't their own, and so that other people from other tongues began to hear the story of God like they'd never heard it before. And then Peter himself got up on that day and he proclaimed. And even part of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost was from the book of Joel, in which he quotes Joel. And he talks about how the Spirit would fall upon people and how they would speak and they would give utterance from visions and dreams, and they told the story of God and invited people into God's story. And the passage says that thousands and thousands were added that day to the kingdom of God because they were faithful in telling the story. Return to God. Repent and be baptized. You know, one of the things I'm excited about these windows that are going to be going in is that The people who decided, the board, the finance committee, the decorating committee, the pastoral staff, they didn't just say, let's put up some beautiful colors. They said, let's tell the story. Let's tell the story of God. And so we're going to have the birth of Jesus. We're going to have the baptism of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the, the death and resurrection, the second coming of Jesus, the cross. Return to God. And then on those, that back window, uh, the foyer, is going to have the three angels coming down proclaiming the story of God, proclaiming the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. It's all about telling the story of God. Not about telling our own stories, but telling God's story. When we tell God's story, people get saved. If we're just passionate about 
developing and telling our own stories and getting people to support our stories in this life, that's an empty life that has no eternal value. But when we tell the story of God from generation to generation, we are making a difference for eternity. Now let me today, just before I wrap this up, share with you something I want to heighten our awareness to, if you will, because there's something that can stop the story from being told from generation to generation. Back in 1998, a gentleman wrote a book about cheese. I don't know if you read this book or not, but it's a very good book. If you haven't read it, you can pick it up on Amazon for about $2.50. And it it was called this, Who Moved My Cheese? Have you read this book? You might want to read it if you haven't. It's a great book on dealing with change and control. And you know, you may not be aware of it, but we all have our cheese. We all have something that we value and that we try to control, and it could be work, it could be home, it could be relationships, it could be whatever it is, but there are things in our life in which we say, don't touch my cheese or someone's going to get hurt around here. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes we can be like the character on Ratatouille, you know? We get very possessive. Don't come near this cheese. You can have all of that, but don't have what's mine, right? Or we can do like this mouse in the maze, and we will do anything to get the cheese. (laughs) Forget the maze, forget process, forget the journey. All that matters is cheese. I will hurt everybody and anything that gets in my way. You know what I'm talking about? Cheese is more important than people in some people's lives. And then this one doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but I liked it. (laughs) Sometimes we'll go into special ops to get the cheese, right? No mission is impossible. (sighs) Who took my cheese? You know, I think there should be a book written for Christians. It's called, Who Moved My Church? Who Moved My Church? My church is A, B, and C. And when you start messing with my church, if it starts changing, there's going to be problems and someone's going to get hurt. Who moved my church? Isn't that what they said to Jesus when he came here? Religious leaders were protecting their church, their cheese, and Jesus came along and started moving the cheese, and they didn't like that, so much so that they killed him because we like our control. We like our things the way we like them. Don't change anything. But God's story always leads us to change. Always. Aren't you glad that God's story leads to change? Because if it wasn't true, you would be the same person you were before he found you. And I'm glad I'm not the same person I was when he found me. And I hope I'm not the same person 10 years from now I am today. I hope there continues to be change Well, let me just remind you that this church is not your church. This church is not the senior pastor's church. This church is not Southeastern California Conference's church. It's not the Pacific Union Conference. It's not the North American Divisions, and it's not even the General Conference's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And as far as I'm concerned, he can move the cheese as much as he wants. And I hope that I'm not stubborn enough to fight with him on it but to do whatever he wants to do, when he wants us to do it, how he wants us to do it. And the reason I'm telling you this is because Joel goes on and he says in chapter 2, in chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, he says, 
And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He says, on all people, multi-ethnic, my spirit will fall. On boys and girls will prophesy, both genders, not just one. Old and young will dream dreams and see visions. Multi-generational, God's spirit will move and God's spirit will speak. And I want to tell you this morning, I am so glad that I am part of a church family that values the young and the old. That we're not just about the young and we're not just about the old and we're not just about the in-between, but we are about the young, the old, the in-between and everything because we are God's people. And I praise God that it's been like that for decades here in this church. And I just want to thank you so much. It's a joy as a pastor to be part of a church that values all ethnicities, male and female, and all generations. Because that, to me, is what the kingdom of God looks like. And so we have a story to tell and to keep telling to our children and to the next children and to the children. And our story is simply this. You can return to God. You can always return to God because he's gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, and slow to anger. God truly is good all the time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are a God that we can return to. Thank you that you are so slow to anger, that you are so compassionate, so gracious, so abounding in love. Thank you for the story. Thank you for the story that Joel told And Lord, may we be tellers of the story. May we not get so lost into our own stories that we forget about your wonderful story and that we don't tell your story. Give us the grace, Lord, to be tellers of the story. Take a moment now in silent prayer to listen to Jesus and maybe to talk with him about being a teller of his story. May we, through our words and through our actions, be tellers of the story. May we tell the story to the world around us. We turn to God because he is gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, and slow to anger. Thank God we can tell the story. Amen. Amen.